0: If you go back to episode 76 of the Bellingham Podcast, today's voice is gonna sound really familiar. I used to call him Dan in Cyprus. He, well, now he's Dan in the UK, but he goes by the handle at DanC21CY on Instagram. A watch enthusiast in the British military and a friend of ours in the Watch Fam. You've tuned into the Bellingham Podcast miniseries, The Watch Fam, brought to you by the Analog Explorer. Read about my analog manifesto through my photography and my passions of travel and watches in print or now as a digital magazine at AnalogExplorer.com. Now, Dan's specialty in his collection happens to be general service watches issued to the British Army, and you'll find out what that means in a bit. But it's not all just form follows function with Dan when it comes to watches. You're going to also hear more of his romantic side when it comes to watches and the legacy that we have with these timepieces. And also, you should probably know that Dan and I have probably talked for, oh, I don't know, two years online. I, I say talk, really, it's just DMing on Instagram and sharing our wrist shots that we take from around the world. But this is the first time that Dan and I ever actually talked, like, talked. And it was great. It's like sitting down with an old friend, even though I've never met him and never talked to him voice to voice. And that's what's really cool about The Watch Fam is you'll get a sense of how open we are all about talking about not just our our watches, but the stories around them. Because as the cliche would go, put up a fresh hot pot of tea, and hopefully you can enjoy this episode as we find out from Dan's perspective, why watches? So, Dan, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, G. Um, thanks for letting me uh, come on the show, man. It's uh, really cool to finally be, what well, partake in your podcast and not just be an avid listener every week, that's quite
0: cool. In light of this episode, I have a special uh, tea that I brewed because I figured if I was talking to somebody in the United Kingdom, I might as well be brewing a good cup of tea. I've got a vintage Earl Grey before me
1: as we, we, we chat. Ooh, you're teasing me. Now, are you having it with milk or lemon?
0: ah see no i don't do it with milk or lemon i just like it straight up uh, because the the tea the loose leaf tea that i have is from a local shop here and it's just really good really clean really crisp as long as you don't steep it too long so i know you've got to be drinking tea what are you drinking
1: i am drinking tea um because of the time difference currently obviously as you know um it's a little bit later here in the day um i'm actually on uh mint tea oh nice just uh you know enjoy my chilled out weekend and uh my evening before i go back to work tomorrow um so i've decided to cut the caffeine now and uh, just enjoy um a few glasses of uh mint tea
0: so more importantly what's on your wrist so,
1: so um on my wrist uh, you'll like it um it's obviously been mentioned before in your previous episodes um but i'm actually wearing my uh bremont solo which i obviously um Headed up with Bremont themselves through the military and special projects team.
0: So to kick off the series, I have one question that I always kind of start off with everybody. And that is, from one watch aficionado to another, why watches?
1: So I've got got two main points for that then. One, it's practical. And then two, I guess it's the emotional investment into an item which you carry with you every day. So they're the two main reasons why I went down the watch collecting. route.
0: Outside of just the practical and emotional sense, I know that as a collector, you you kind of have a unique collection that you scavenged across, uh, I guess, much of the world. I mean, uh, can you tell me a little bit about your your special Seiko collect or I guess your service oriented watches collection that you were able to put together?
1: We'll talk about the practical, right? So I joined the military, Uh, when I was 19 years old and the first thing you get told when you join the military is you you need a watch okay you know you need to be able to tell the time you need to be at a place with whatever you need for a certain time you know and the military obviously you know runs everything by you know by timing and being punctual so it's that practical element that you know kind of made me look into this collecting hobby when i joined the army i found out that the british military used to issue watches to soldiers now for me that was quite interesting because i also outside of collecting watches i'm actually a bit of a history geek Um, i like reading up about military history and history in general Um, and i also like collecting old things so when i found out that these watches used to be issued it kind of like picked something in my brain where I thought, oh, that'd be really cool to, you know, try and find out if I can basically collect one of them every single time. And that's kind of where I started. I started with British military watches. And I decided to do some research as we all did. And I actually got inundated with the extensive amount of watches that have been issued to the British military since basically the the Second World War. So I had to narrow down what I wanted to collect and I decided that I was going to only collect watches that were issued to the British Army because they had a certain issue code on them. Um, That issue code as we know or people would have heard of is the W10 reference that is on the back of every wristwatch issued to the British Army and I decided only to collect general service watches. The reason I limited it is because if I started collecting in into divers or specialist trade watches a I would be throwing down a lot of money into, <laughs> this, into this hobby at a very young age at the time because like I said I was only 19 uh, early 20 when I first you know started this hobby. My collection I'm quite pleased to say that I'm very fortunate and um, I have managed to collect, bar one type at the moment, because I haven't found an example that I'm willing to pay for at the moment, um, one of pretty much every kind of general service issue watch to the British military since the second War.
0: I mean, outside of being just a collector, you, you had a special project with Bremont to get the, the the watch that's on your wrist today. Do you have any other current projects that you're working with?
1: Yeah, so I've had an involvement with a project. So I'm a, I am was a client in support of this project. There's a new watch, which has come into creation, as it were, by a company called Elliot Brown. Okay, so Elliot Brown are a, a British watch company. Um, they're actually based down in Dorset. They actually recently secured a contract with the Ministry of Defence to supply a particular unit of the of the british military with new divers watches or what i guess you would consider mission timers um through that contract to to the military they became the first british company to supply an issued watch to the british military in over a decade and obviously they can be demanded by a unit and an individual if their role and requirement fit you know to have that watch
0: so so how does that work being in service like uh not every serviceman or woman can go in and just uh, request a watch it has to be mission uh specific or mission granted i guess
1: yeah there's there's uh, mission specific trades and positions which traditionally would allow them to have an issued watch now obviously The reason issued watches came about in the first place was because obviously back in the day, watches were expensive, right? Right. Mechanical watches are definitely expensive. And the volume of soldiers in conflict obviously always increased. And also pay of soldiers back in the day wasn't as much as it is now. Sure. So they couldn't always afford a watch. That's why watches were issued. There are, uh, well, there's a lesser requirement for watches to be issued now so they do kind of limit it to specific roles those roles traditionally being stuff such as aviation if you're pilots if you're aircrew um divers Um, but also if you're a of a certain rank or a certain position within a unit you can also have an issued watch because with rights and responsibilities of an individual, you also get to reap the, the benefit of it, you know, that sure. kind of stuff. So traditionally, it would be NCOs within a certain appointment. And then obviously, traditionally, back in the Second World War, these watches, funny enough, were actually more for the privates because they couldn't afford them. Huh. Um, that makes sense. There's a, there, I, I've got a story for you, which um, comes all the way over from Cyprus, actually. There's um, a gentleman over in Cyprus, who's a retired British army, um, he served as a career soldier all of his life. And when he was the regimental sergeant major of his battalion, he actually used to take the issued watches off certain people because he knew that those individuals basically could afford to buy their own watch. So he would take the issued watches off them because he was the regimental sergeant major and nobody would um, you know, tell him no. He would give the issued watches to the privates who couldn't afford a watch and then tell the individual who we took the watch off to go and buy their own, (laughs) you (laughs) know, so so it's quite funny how it's now a role reversal where now you almost have to be in a position of speciality or, you know what I mean, like a specialist role, um, or of a certain rank to have a watch. So it's quite funny how it's reversed now. But I mean,
0: regardless of the role, like in the case of like Elliot Brown, like these, these watches are being made still specifically as, as a tool, right? Like this is still being field tested, field abused, field used, right?
1: Yes, yeah. So these watches, you use this in the field, you use this, you know, in work. And actually, when you leave the unit, you are required to return it. Because like I said, Ah. it's only issued to you. It's like your uniform is issued to you. You technically give it. it back. You know what i mean i'm not saying that they will all be given back <laughs> because things happen as we know and so when like in the cases that sometimes these watches
0: don't get returned like because i mean anybody in the watch fam has, have, has surfed through uh the flea bay to try to find like the dirty dozen watches or, or you know of course, yeah, yeah, yeah the watches that were in service and stuff how is it that some service personnel are able to keep the watch and then later it gets sold or it gets inherited and stuff, if, if it is uh, military property.
1: Well, there's there's two things that, that can happen. Um, the most common is the individual claims that they've lost it mm-hmm. and they will get charged for it. Uh, okay. So they will get charged, the mon- they get charged for it. in theory, get charged the mandatory value of which that item costs. You know it basically because they've said well you've lost military equipment you're paying for it you know uh, it's obviously through a, it's obviously through a defense contract so they don't pay what you would consider full retail for it they pay the amount of money that the government or the military buy that in, that individual item for okay? sure that is not um, representative on the prices that some collectors will pay on ebay i'm just saying right um, which is quite funny um, that's the most common Reason why these things end up on eBay, mm.
0: um,
1: and then the other reason is um, there's a thing which mili- the British military call it anyway. I don't know what the equipment would be in America, but it's called war stock. So sometimes there's an influx of kit and equipment which is predominantly going to be used in conflict. So if it's going to go to a conflict zone or a war zone, it's mm. classed as war stock. And what happens is, even though it's issued to that individual, because that person's going to a environment which is less permissive that is more you know violent and all that kind of stuff they don't they some they will effectively factor in the account uh, factor in the uh, likelihood that that piece of equipment won't come back so there's a way officially that if it counts as war stock you technically don't have to give it back because the military weren't expecting it to come back from that theater of conflict
0: also, with the, with the military contracts, like the the watches, and I guess any equipment really that's that's built for any military, they have to abide by a certain specification, obviously. But also, I I mean, some some parts of the military are able to kind of dictate the the aesthetic, right? Like you, we see certain pieces that are made for military that those dials, those hands, or whatever that configuration. Is there a reasoning behind that? I, I mean, is there somebody behind uh, some desk somewhere? It's like you know, the British Army needs sword hands like
1: or is it just done out of utility i know that every single piece of british military equipment has a specification that it had to adhere to all of that kind of stuff is more born out of a utilitarian practice rather than oh they specified whatever you know the way to look that being said i know that in terms of the elliot brown project this was done slightly differently so with the elliot brown project the unit of the british military actually already had exposure to elliot brown and because of where they're headquartered and where this unit is headquartered they cross paths a lot so actually a lot of the, of the um, members of this unit had bought civilian elliot brown watches ah, okay so when they decided or when the need arose for this unit to have new issue diver watches because of the unit's budget and their flexibility with who they can approach for equipment they went to who they knew they went to elliot brown and the design for these halton divers watches because that's what they're called was almost a two-way conversation between the unit and the company themselves you know Yes, the com- the unit, you know, said we want the watch to be, you know, robust. We want it to have loom. We want it to be water resistant, all that kind of stuff. But then, what was quite interesting is the fact that when I met Ian Elliot and Alex Brown, who obviously run the company, he said that they had a two-way engagement with the unit. They got members of the unit to bring their own Elliot watches, Elliot Brown watches, in to the meeting and said, "Right, you've already bought on our watches of various, you know, models." what do you like and what don't you like? And we'll incorporate what you like and we'll take away what you don't. You know, that's quite unique really. Whereas previously, you know, if you look at the CWC G10 watches and W10 watches, that would have just been um, uh, MOD um, specification order where they've gone, right, we want the watch to be accurate within this amount of time. We want it to have a power reserve of roughly this time. We want it to be luminous and we want it to, you know, Be of this size. Send this uh, specification out to various companies. When the companies bring back the prototypes, we'll pick one. You know what I mean? Right, right. That's not a two way conversation. Whereas with Elliot Brown, it was a two way conversation. It was, well, actually. We need this this and this. actually
0: the they got direct feedback from the people that would be yes. using them practically as opposed yes. to you know the big government agency saying like hey here is a, just like any other government whether it's the united states or uk like you know here's the spec sheet check all the boxes if you get yeah. all the boxes you get the contract like exactly and it.
1: and also not only if you take tickle the boxes do you get the contract it's also if you tick all the boxes And you meet our price requirements, you get the contract, you know, because unfortunately, in my experience, certain pieces of equipment to the British military are colloquially known to have been to have gone to to the cheapest bidder, you know, and that kind of stuff. Because also the MOD wants to save money because issuing uniform or kit and equipment on large volumes costs money you know defense contracts cost money and a good example of that is you know we hinted earlier at the vietnam seikos that i heard the vietnam seikos again the units or the macabee sog unit which was obviously the special forces in vietnam they obviously had a bigger budget than the you know the larger frontline units that you would think of in the vietnam war so they could almost demand whatever they wanted when they demanded watches funny enough the operators in the, that unit, they demanded Rolex watches because they knew that they could get the most expensive pieces of equipment because the <laughs> government were willing to buy it. That obviously didn't happen because <laughs> the defence contractor, he did almost what Elliot Brown did, was he went out and met the soldiers and he met the operators in the units and said, look, I see that you've asked for Rolex watches, but actually Rolex watches at the time cost up to $120 each. But I see on your wrist that you've gone down to the local PX and you have bought an $8 Seiko. Why have you bought that $8 Seiko? And the soldiers were like, well, they work, they're luminous. They've got this, they've got that and all, all these reasons. And they went, right, I'll go to Seiko then because they'll make me exactly what you want for less money.
0: Hmm.
1: You know what I mean? So it's obviously, it's also down to the, the costings of, um, of a contract as well. So that's another reason why, these divers watches, the Elliott Browns, are te- more limited, and I guess, sought after because not many will have them issued. So, so
0: let's talk about the current project. So, uh, I mean, you, you, I presume you do have one.
1: I do, I do. I went and collected mine just before Christmas. It was a Christmas present to myself. <laughs> it, was, it, was good. it was a good Christmas. But the, um, the project itself, okay, so is the Elliott Brown halton 354 okay so 354 takes into account i believe the anniversary of the royal marines which the project basically commemorates them as a unit slash the Royal navy ties in with the halton the name halton comes from the royal navy ammunition factory based on the um on the south coast during the during the second world war only 60 of these watches were made and they are slightly different to the issued iteration of the halton watch to the to the for um to the um british forces so these ones come in different dial colorations so i've got a, a subdued gray um, Subdued gray, so that, that's Bellingham yeah. approved right there.
0: Nice, nice. There you go.
1: And then you can also have bought a dark blue dial. So they're the two main things um, which differ the 354 Holtons to the issued Holtons because obviously the issued ones have a black dial. Um, the other thing that is different is that this has a sterile dial. So actually it actually only has the Elliott Brown shield on it. So, hmm. it doesn't actually say Elliot Brown. And it also has a different hand set in that the minute hand is orange. So, it's hmm. outlined in orange. Uh, and that's almost a throwback to the 1960s divers.
0: Right. Um, like the old Squalas and um, yes. uh, the Pull Profs, I think, had the, that yeah. type of hand set up.
1: Exactly. Very much that. Um, but they kept the sword hands. So, it's still got sword hands, but it just has an orange minute hand just to differentiate it and make it a little bit more different. And as far as I'm aware, it's the only Elliot Brown project to date which has an orange minute hand. Hmm. Um, and the other thing that it doesn't, it, that differentiates it in terms of complication is that this doesn't have um, a date window hmm. purely to keep the symmetry of the dial. So on the Elliot Brown uh, Holtons with the black dials and the issued ones, they obviously have a date complication and the date is uh roughly at the 4:30 position oh okay they rem- they they removed it for this project just to keep the dial on the tree it also has a fully loomed diving bezel which is fully radicaled or whatever you'd cl- class it as zero through to 60.
0: is it bi-directional or is it unidirectional like a traditional
1: unidirectional diver? like a cool. traditional diver and then also on the the rehaut between obviously the dial and the crystal it's got 24 hour time
0: Nice, nice. Yeah. So again, so it's, a,
1: it's an absolutely lovely watch. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, and it, and again, getting back to what what military service really needs: legibility and functionality.
1: uh yeah, exactly that. So everything about this uh, is almost where form follows function throughout the whole project. So, for example, the case has also got a special kind of coating which basically repels dirt, grime, all of that kind of stuff. Blood blood potentially yes <laughs> um the spring uh the the lugs um and the spring bars aren't spring bars they're actually screwing bars so you could basically hang off this if you really wanted to and it's not going to go anywhere i think you're more likely to lose your arm before the watch <laughs> came off your wrist so,
0: <laughs> there you go you, you should know. send that into elliot brown as the as their slogan for this this run you might lose your arm but you won't <laughs> lose your watch
1: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so but so yeah so it's um all about kind of the form uh, and the you know the functional aspect but at the same time it's a very nice watch to look at you know hmm. it's 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 still a very cl- classical design and they've put a lot of thought into how how they make the watch so it's it's really nice.
0: kind of kind of re- looping around a little bit so with Elliot Brown being a, a British company, obviously, and servicing British military. Here in the United States, we're in this big boom in the watch fam. I'm, I'm sure you're tuned into it where we have a ton of micro brands and like also this kind of sub community of, of accessory builders. There are people that just kind of start in their garage creating stuff, whether for like creating a watch or stuff uh, for watches uh are you seeing something similar over in the uk
1: there's um there's definitely been a boom in the last couple of years where you've got micro brands popping up you know or british watches kind of becoming you know coming more to the public eye more to the forefront i guess to the what i would class as the average or the more general watch collector I say that like watch collecting is like a massive hobby and that's normal. <laughs> it's obviously a very niche hobby still, but I find that military watches are even more niche within that. Right. Um, but yeah, from my experience, um, there's a lot of guys, or I say a lot of guys, you know, there's prominent individuals who make watch accessories within Britain. Uh, and I'm quite fortunate as well to, to own some of these accessories. But the most recent individual who I've come into contact with is darren he runs a company called zulu alpha watch straps and he is ex royal navy and he actually makes straps from recycled rifle slings which again for me ties in the military element which i find really cool you know and also it's recycling stuff you know i think that's quite important too you know it's um trying to change the mindset of individuals to you know find a second use for things you know not throw everything away invest into something that you can either use for multiple things or find a new use for it so I like that as well
0: that kind of falls into like just watches and, and horology in general I mean typically speaking watches were meant to be bought once and last several generations I mean that's why they're serviceable and such and straps and and the other accessories kind of go by the wayside because they're kind of the the tires on the vehicle right like you yeah tires every so often so with Zula Alpha straps they're they're using rifle slings like uh i mean for people that are not in the military like what what is that and and how is that being adapted to a a watch strap
1: so a rifle sling is obviously that material which um, traditionally loops through two points either end of a rifle which enables a soldier to carry that weapon system without it always being in attack darren um managed to again it was born out of practicality because he bought a nice watch where he was afraid that this stock strap that it came on, potentially could break through his lifestyle. So he went searching for other alternatives. In his experience through that search, he didn't find anything that would suit his needs. And when he was clearing out his shed of all things, he came across a couple of old SA-80, which is the British Army issue rifle, SA-80 rifle slings. And it just so happened that the width of the nylon matched with the with the love width of his watch <laughs> and he decided well it's good nylon it's you know it's only going to go in the bin i may as well have a go at making a strap out of it. and he came up with a system to secure it which is in my experience unique to the watch straps out there he uses a triglide buckle system so the watch strap doesn't have a pin and buckle as a traditional like nato strap would have it has this triglide buckle system which works purely on uh, on friction but is also very secure and the good thing about it is is that you can basically have any size you want on it because obviously it's a buckle you know that almost free slides up and down the nylon you're not conforming to oh i have to have it this tight on my wrist because that's where the pinhole is for the pin you know to go through or if i want it tighter i'm gonna have to burn a hole through my strap to make a new you know hole so you'll always get a comfortable fit, which is quite good as well. It is literally just Darren making them himself. You know, That's there's cool. a very honest aura as it or air about the straps that he makes. You know, you can tell that they're handmade. You can have, you know, they're all made by him. Each one is yeah. made by him in his home. And also for him, it's a big, a big thing he wanted to do was like I said, get away from outsourcing to other countries. He wanted something to be British. You know, he prides himself on being a independent strap maker and the fact that he's using upcycle materials, you know, within Britain to do that, you know, he did, he, he, he basically wanted to go against the grain of you know effectively amazon and ebay
0: and th- that whole story of that reminds me a lot of like the uh like the original like uh tudor snowflake for the marine national right the the Naj uh what is it Nage de the the yeah
1: yeah yeah the straps. um the elastic straps that you, people see on the uh tudor submariners yeah exactly that you know it's a strap that was born out of a practical or or you know a practical necessity really you know and they the individuals who made those straps originally used the materials that they had to have, you know um which is which is um really interesting and actually did you know the reason why um the two uh the french navy divers had to use the, the um had to make their own straps
0: uh wasn't it because they were delivered just head-end they didn't have straps issued to them
1: exactly that yeah which obviously yeah. then rolls back into the fact that um all government contracts are bought on a budget, because obviously <laughs> but buying a Tudor Submariner is X amount of money, but buying a Tudor Submariner on its bracelet is even more. So obviously, <laughs> what do the French government do? Well, we'll just get rid of the bracelet.
0: It kind of wraps around into the, the holistic story of like, hey, like, here is somebody who built a tool uh, for something that you know he didn't want to lose, and I don't blame him. Like If I had a Rolex Submariner, to which I don't, you know, I would not want it to fall off my wrist as I'm riding on my motorcycle. I mean, that, that's why I, I usually gravitate towards the strap manufacturers I do is because, you know, it pains me. It pains me to see somebody buy like their first nice watch, quote unquote, right? Whatever that is, whether it's a Miyota movement or a Rolex, whatever, whatever that person sees as a their first nice watch. And then they go to eBay and buy like the $2 NATO strap. And I'm like, oh man, that's, that's not good.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Supporting an individual to do something that, like you said, they're passionate about is, right. is is really important. And like you said, also, yeah, the practical elements of recycling something or upcycling something because we may as well use it. Because like I said, you know, it's, only, it's unfortunately only going to end up in landfill. And that's that's obviously not really what we want to, to want what we want to do so no no but it is funny isn't it how like you said people will go and buy a two dollar strap for a really nice watch <laughs> yeah and you sit there and kind of go that's you know i mean i, I cringe a little bit because you sit there and kind of go i'd be really upset if that came off you know right. and like i said it doesn't have to be a Rolex. you know it can be anything all watches um and i had this discussion before we came on the uh on this podcast is i i feel that all watches have a certain emotional investment into You know, like I said, you know, that's a item that is with you as an individual every single day of your life or however long that, you know, period is before you either buy a new watch or you have to replace the watch. You can get emotionally invested into it. So, you know, it will be heartbreaking if that thing comes off your wrist when you're riding your motorbike. And
0: that's, that's kind of how I wanted to, to end this, this, this episode is we kind of hit on a lot of the practicality and, and the service aspect of, of watches. And in your opinion, in today's day and age, do you feel like in the future, I mean, do you feel like the, the, our, our future generations are going to have the same emotional attachment to a small trinket like a watch?
1: So I think I think, as long as there are, Basically, weirdos like ourselves who appreciate mechanical watches. I don't, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think. You know. I. I think that pits individuals, not on a mass scale, but I think people will still appreciate. You know, a mechanical trinket like you said, a, a mechanical watch, traditional watchmaking yeah but i think the thing is is like you said it's such a unique hobby i think it's still gaining traction isn't it and it has been the dawn of all the watch forums you know it's it's still growing and apparently i don't know how true this is but i was told when i went into a boutique a couple of weeks ago that actually their sales in the last year have only gone up because of the reason that younger people say young people people of my generation you know mid-20s yeah. want to escape being connected to something. The point to them is that they want to escape the idea that something on their wrist is gonna give them a notification, so they go and buy a Seiko, they go and mm. buy a Casio, they go and buy something that is just an entity in itself. Yeah. And I'm hope that as individuals continue to do that, that yes, they will become emotionally invested. I mean, I look at my watch collection, AJ, and every single watch, I've got an emotional connection to it, be it my father's watch, my amiga that he gifted to me when i was 23 for my birthday or to my bremont which i designed for my trade within the military through to my first cwc they all have memories accredited to them you know and i just hope that when it gets to that point where i kind of shuffle off my mortal coil and these watches get handed down that those family members look at these watches and these like i said mechanical trinkets whether they're, you know, even though they're, like you said, technology, technologically outdated, that they s- see it as an emotional investment of me into that, into those items.
0: Yeah, I, I feel the I same mean, way. the
1: only watch that re- in my collection that I really don't have any current emotional investment in it is actually my Explorer, because I bought it brand new. But the way I look at that is that that watch will travel with me and gain new memories. You know, all of my military watches have stories before I own them. The Rolex doesn't. So I hope that when it comes to handing that down, that, you know, say, you know, my son or my daughter will look at that and say, that was dad's watch. The way that I look at my father's Amiga.
0: I think we all, I think anybody in the watch fam, like we, the thing that makes us all kind of tick is that we always have that one watch or that one story that led us to that to, to coming into watches, honestly, because that's why I started off the show with why watches. Because that's the one question that, as a watch person, we all get every time. Yeah. And it's funny because talking to another uh, watch aficionado for however long we've been on this 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 call, you know, it it's a it's a sit down and long story. And it's funny because in today's day and age, I find that when somebody who's a non-watch person asks that question, they're just like, oh yeah, well, why watches? You know. And it's funny because they don't really get the idea behind what, like, what, what, what we've kind of described is, it's emotional. It's it is something of legacy, heirloom. This concept of an heirloom is being lost. Yeah, and it's really cool to hear your story with regards to not just you personally, but also seeking out the the vintage of of, of watches that you found because of your heritage and and your family's heritage to British military.
1: Yeah, no, that was a big thing. You know, like you said, it's the idea of. Yeah, it's a romantic element to it, isn't it, I think, with watches. There's a romantic element, there's a story element to to these trinkets, to these devices, you know, because fundamentally, like you said, all they do is tell time, you know, but it's, yeah, it's that emotional link that I've put to that, that, you know, that item more than anything. Um, And it's romantic, you know. I think there's a romantic element as well of the idea of a watchmaker sitting there and making it, you know. I think society, modern society, is so wound. Like I said, everything's fast-paced, isn't it? You know, you can turn your phone on, you can get a notification, you know what's happened, you know, halfway around the world within minutes of it happening. Society is so used to things being immediate and quick and disposable that they forget actually having something that isn't immediate, that isn't quick in terms of production, in terms of the time and effort put into it. You know and the fact that it can be handed down they don't understand it because they've been brought up in a era where everything's disposable because it's quicker cheaper and easier to buy a replacement on amazon it's i think it's that personally but that's just me That
0: wraps up this special edition of the Bellingham podcast. Thank you again so much for listening to us, rating us, reviewing us, wherever you like to get your podcast. Remember, if you're in the Bellingham area, you might be listening to us on KMRE 102.3 FM, low power. Community radio here in the heart of the city by the Salish Sea. And also remember that this mini-series is brought to you by The Analog Explorer. Find out more about my analog manifesto through my photography, my love of travel, and of course, my tick for watches. You can read about it in a digital magazine or in print at theanalogexplorer.com. Thank you again so much for tuning in. I'm AJ Barsay, and we will see you next week.